Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Well, I want to share with you today, um, I know when Pastor Eric is reading the scriptures, he's constantly, constantly looking for things to preach and teach to you because that's what he does. However, when it's time for me to share, it's more coming from a place of something I've seen in the scriptures that helped me with my own life that I want to share with you to hopefully help you in your life. Um, I believe that there's a wisdom that God gives us that is sort of downloaded um, just because we are vessels of the Holy Spirit. Um, You know, and it's not a cop-out. God intends for it to be that way. But I think there's also a wisdom that after spending time in his word and spending time in prayer and in fellowship with his people and coming to church, that there's a a different level of wisdom that we gain from that. Um, When Eric and I were first dating, uh, it was a very short process. We started dating in January. We were engaged by February and married by August. Not necessarily what I recommend, but if you know it's the Lord, it's the Lord. But um, so when we started dating, I I was raised Catholic. So I had come out of the Catholic church and I had just started attending church with him. And we got engaged really fast. And so within two months, he had taken a position as a youth pastor in Roswell, New Mexico. Well, we were living in West Texas at the time. So on Friday evening, when we got off work, we worked 40-hour work week. On Friday evening, we'd get in the car, drive to Roswell. We youth pastored for the weekend. We had our service on Sunday evening, and then we would get in the car and drive home. We would make it home around 2 o'clock in the morning, Monday morning, start all over again. And um, because I was just new to the things of the Spirit and ministry life, I wasn't familiar with it, I felt ill-equipped. I just thought, here I was, and I was only 18 at the time. The thought of it sends shivers down my spine. Um, So I was barely out of a youth group myself, and here I am expected to lead this group of young people as a youth pastor. And one of the first adventures that we took this youth group on was taking them to youth camp. Now, these kids were not like our lovely little darlings that we have here. This group of children, kids, teenagers, um, they, they were in gangs. They came from families that were in gangs. A lot of their parents were still in gangs, grandparents in gangs. I had never even thought that gangs existed outside of the movies, much less had uh, contact with somebody who was actually in a gang. I grew up in um, a very fairyland existence. And so here I was not only put in charge of these teenagers, but they were teenagers coming from backgrounds I had no experience with. So luckily, one day reading the scriptures, I found this verse, James 1, 5. And it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Thank God, because I needed wisdom, and I needed it from God, because I did not know how to attain the kind of wisdom that I would need. Turned out these kids, that was a great group of kids. We absolutely fell in love with them. Um, We didn't end up moving to Roswell when we got married. Thank God for that as well. If you're from Roswell, it's just not that lovely of a town. Thank God you have the aliens. Um, That's all I have to say. 
But in that time in my life, God was faithful to deposit wisdom into my life. I, I would come up against a situation that I had no idea how to handle, and it was all of a sudden I would have the words to say. I would have the, the, uh, the ability to handle it when prior to that situation I did not have that ability. But then, moving on in ministry... And being in the Word and in fellowship with God's people, I recognized that there was a different kind of wisdom. The words wisdom and knowledge and understanding are somewhat interchangeable throughout the Bible. But if you look at them, there's, there's sort of two different meanings to the Word. And one of them is the kind of wisdom, like I said, that's downloaded by God. It's almost more of a discernment, and it's available for you. But there's another wisdom that comes that's cultivated. And it, you learn from experience. And it doesn't necessarily have to be your own experience, but maybe you have a mentor or just the pastor preaching the sermons to you, the, his experience that he's get, gaining from the Word. And so um, through time, I've gained more wisdom uh, through that method. And so I want to share with you something that I feel like the Lord has shown me from the Scriptures that I've used in my own life. And... Um, that is about transition. And when I look around at the lives of the people in my family and the lives of the people on my staff and just a church as a whole, it feels like we've been in transition so much. And um, I think it's an important thing to address in our lives because it does happen periodically throughout our own lives. Uh, there's a giant building in downtown Dallas that some of you have may, may have heard of. It's called American Airlines Center. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been there more than once. Um, but my daughter, Laurel, works for a company that actually sometimes she'll be working at the American Airlines Center. And usually when I find out that she's working there, my first question is, okay, well, what, well what's going on there? Because she could be working for a hockey game. There could be a concert. Uh, at one point, right after those policemen were shot in Dallas, they did like a memorial service at the AAC for them. Um, it, you just never know. Because it's a venue. It's a venue to be used for different organizations. Um, but, you know, it doesn't matter what they're using it for. Just because they used it for a memorial service doesn't make the AAC a funeral home. Just because they use it for hockey games doesn't make the AAC a hockey arena. It's a venue that can be changed out. And um, you can't afford to let the events that happen in your life define you. We all have, we move from phases in our life, we have these stages in our life that we go from one stage to another, and you can't let any one stage that you face or an event that happens in your life define your life. We all know those people, right? Like, they used to call him High School Harry. Is that right, for those of you that are my age? The guys, you know, they're like 40 years old, still wearing their letter, letter jacket from high school because they were something in high school, and they can't seem to let that go and move on to the next thing. They're still carrying that around like a trophy because they haven't been able to move past it. Life has never been as good as it was in high school. Or maybe to... Uh, bring it a little closer to home, those of us who have raised children, you identify yourself as a mother for so long that you raise your kids and they leave home, and then what? Who am I now? 
You've, I put my sole identity in being a mom, and here I am feeling lost, feeling useless, and like I have no purpose in life. So we can't let these seasons of life solely identify who we are. Maybe it's a career path. Maybe you uh, work a job and you lost your job. Or in this day and age, maybe your position became obsolete. And it's time to transition. But you don't necessarily know what to transition to because you've identified yourself solely on this one period of your life. People get stuck in one frame of life for a number of reasons. Um, I think one of the main reasons when God's trying to do something in your life, you get stuck because you don't want to let go of what's in your hand until you have something else in your hand. But God doesn't always work that way. Sometimes he wants you to let go of what's your hand so that you have an open hand to grasp on to the next thing. Turn with me to Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. Philippians 3, verse 12 starts out, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You can't grab the next thing if your hand is still clenched around the last thing. Um, between each event in your life, there will be a transition. You know, like I said, Laurel, her job at the American Airlines Center is to transition from one event to another, whether that's tearing down a stage and setting up for the next thing. Maybe they melt the ice. I don't know what the transition looks like, but there's a transition between the events. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. We all go through seasons in our life, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically. Not all of those are great. Relationally, you have relationships that go through seasons, circumstantially. We even kind of have seasons here in North Texas. We have around eight months of summer, 15 minutes of fall, 15 minutes of spring, a little bit of winter. But even with our seasons not being what they are like in the rest of the country, we, we know how to manage certain seasons. We know when winter is coming, we get the coats out of the closet, we get prepared. When it's going to be summer, we know it's going to be hot. It's never not hot, so we get our air conditioners looked at and make sure they're working so that we can be prepared. But then there's those weird days. Those weird days in between seasons, you know, about November, where you get up and you need pants and a jacket to head out the door, and by the end of the day, it's almost 100 degrees, so you're shedding every layer that's possible in public that's appropriate. There's those weird days that we, that we have trouble navigating. They're, they're, it's the time between seasons. It's the period between letting go and taking hold. Turn with me to Exodus 24.3. Now, this is the story of Moses, and he's leading the Israelites from Egypt to Canaan. He's been instructed by God a lot of you are familiar with the story, or at least parts of the story. 
And if you ever get a chance, go and read the whole thing. There's so much good stuff in there. But at this point, Moses has been told by God, go to Pharaoh and ask for him to release your people to you, the Israelites. Well, Pharaoh had enslaved the Israelites because they had been growing, their group had been growing in numbers and in power, and he was um, threatened by that. So he began to kill their firstborn children and enslaved them so, to keep them under his rule. Well, so Moses goes and he asks Pharaoh, please let my people go, and Pharaoh says no. So God intervened. God intervened on Moses' behalf. He sent 10 different plagues to the Egyptian people. And in the 10th plague, Pharaoh's son died. And that's when he gave up. And he said, okay, fine, take them. Take your people and go. So this was the first step that they had to, to leave slavery headed towards Canaan, the land of promise that God had promised them. So they leave. Well, one of the very first things that um, Pharaoh did was he changed his mind. He sent his army after the Israelites shortly after they left and said, you know what? No, go and, and take them out. Now, this journey that the, that the Israelites went on should have taken about 11 or 12 days, and it took them 40 years. But in the beginning, things were great. God had made a way for them to leave the slavery of the bondage of Pharaoh's house, and here they were headed to the land of promise. And now Pharaoh's army had been sent after them. So they approached the Red Sea, and this is a very condensed version of this story. They approached the Red Sea. Moses has the ability through God to part the Red Sea. They get through it. Pharaoh's army catches up. The Red Sea destroys them all. Huge deliverance. God showed up again. They are so excited to be on this journey towards freedom. But after time, we're brought to Exodus 24.3. It says, and this is where Moses is going to make a covenant with God for his people. And they've decided they're just going to send Moses on their behalf. And he says, okay. So they've decided God's been so good to us, we want to make a covenant with him. So Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has said, we will do. So basically, this is where God comes up with the Ten Commandments because they're saying, we want to be your people, just tell us what to do. They are on board. So Moses begins to prepare the sacrificial offering to secure this covenant with God. The people are ready. So he prepares the sacrificial offering. Skip down to verse 7 and let's look at... Exodus 23, verse 7, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Verse 8 says, And Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Basically, all right, you're agreeing, it, agreeing to it. We're sealing it with blood. I'm going to go up and affirm this covenant with God. So, Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God on behalf of the people. Well, it took a little longer than the Israelites expected. Moses is up there meeting with God. They're down here. The excitement is waning. So they take the matters into their own hands. 
and they build a golden calf out of the gold that they have. And they start to worship this golden calf. This golden calf becomes their god. And that may sound a little strange to us, but I've known people who have, even God has helped them accumulate great wealth or accumulate some sort of status, and then they make that their God. And now this is what they worship rather than the God who helped them get there in the first place. So here they are, they're worshiping a golden calf. Well, that didn't take long. The excitement of what God's done for them, the promise they wanted to make with him is no longer on their minds. The problem was the Israelites found themselves in a period of transition that they didn't know how to navigate. They were between the seeing God move on their behalf and the promise that God was, had before them. And so they, they did what they knew to do. They took, circumstance, they took matters into their own hands. Don't let your current circumstances keep you from your God-given potential. Your circumstances are just, circumstance simply means the circle that you're standing in. That circle that you're standing in will change. There's so much beyond what your current circumstances are. Do not let fear of transition or your former inability to navigate transition keep you from what God has for you. So I've got a few steps regarding transition, how to help you through it. First of all, recognize that you're in transition. This may take a little bit of um, self-perspective, looking at your own life and and praying, maybe prayer, and figure out, am I in a season of transition? Um, The other day I went out to start our grill and I walk out there And right next to the edge of the lid of the grill, it appears there is like a wadded up bandage. Gross. I was so disgusted, but I wasn't about to touch it. I was, my plan was to go in and chew everybody in the house out until somebody admitted to it and then make them go pick it up. But I opened the grill, the lid to the grill, and just inside that edge of the grill was this butterfly. And it was beautiful, perfectly preserved, but it was dead. And so when I looked at, it was kind of connected to right where that bandage was. I looked and I realized it wasn't a bandage at all. What had obviously happened was a caterpillar crawled up there. It must have just been tucked under the edge of the grill, I'm not sure. But it created its cocoon there. And then when the butterfly emerged from the cocoon, it emerged into the grill poor thing. And so I'm looking at this, so now I'm, now I'm brave enough to touch this thing that's on the grill, now that I realize it's not a bandage, and nobody's going to get chewed out. Thank God. Let's be honest, it probably would have been Eric's, and that would have just been awkward. <laughs> but, so, like any normal person, I begin to put myself in the butterfly's shoes and start thinking, I wonder what this, what this little guy was thinking. And I start thinking that Maybe he came out of the cocoon inside the grill and was like, well, I didn't expect the other side to be so dark. I thought the darkness was over. Maybe he came out of there and thought, it smells funny in here. What is going on? But then I was like, you know, does the butterfly even really know what to expect? Maybe when the butterfly was in that cocoon, 
it was dark and there was nothing really happening. And it just thought, when it came out into the grill, it just thought, you know what? As long as I'm out of that darkness I was in, I don't care if death is, my, is imminent. I just am glad to be out of that unknown place. Because sometimes when you're in a place that feels lonely or confusing or frustrating, or there's tension you can't explain, anything is better than that. We tend to not like the unknown. We'd rather be in the comfort of what's not really working than the discomfort of the unknown. And so maybe even the people in your life are feeling that tension and they know that something's going on with you but you can't really put your finger on it and you've maybe tried to self-diagnose when the reality is that God is just trying to get you to a new place of victory in your life. So maybe it is time to take self-inventory and ask God what he's up to. Is there something going on in your life that God's trying to get you to? Is there something that you've been believing for in the wilderness that you're experiencing right now is simply the absence of what was and the waiting for what's to come. Maybe there's something that you need to let go of before God can give you what he intends for you to have. So I would encourage you to, to take a good look at your life and recognize if you're in a state of transition. And then number two, dress for where you're headed. When you establish that you're in a place of transition, dress for where you're headed. Let's turn in Exodus chapter 3 to verses 21 and 22. And this is taking place just before the Israelites leave Egypt. So Pharaoh let them go. He said, fine, they can go, and they're about to leave. And God says, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, And it shall be when you go, you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and daughters. God didn't want the children of Israel to leave captivity looking like slaves. He wanted them to have a picture of what their future looked like. He said, not only go and gather the spoils from the Egyptians, but put it on your children. I don't want them one more day identifying as the slaves that they have been. Have you ever been at Starbucks or the mall or a restaurant or something, and you see like a group of young people coming in in all their really nice dresses, and depending on their age, you can guess that it must be prom weekend or something like that. Or maybe you've been dressed up for a wedding and you have to stop by Walmart to get a card and you go in and it's a little bit awkward. People are looking at you like, why is she dressed like that for Walmart? And you almost feel like you have to explain yourself. Like you're like, I don't normally dress like this to run errands. This isn't how I dress. I normally put on workout clothes, even though I have no intention of working out. That's what I wear to run errands. But, and then you're in line and you're like, I'm going to a wedding. This is not how I dress for Walmart. But what you want to say is, I'm headed somewhere special, and when I get there, I'll fit in. I won't be so out of place when I get to where I'm going. What has God promised you that you haven't seen come to pass yet in your life? Get dressed for it. Get ready for it. Start to make preparations. 
Is it a better marriage? Maybe you should start say, stop saying the things about your spouse that you've always said that maybe caused the problems in the first place. Is it, listen, I'm preaching to myself first. Is it, um, is it career related? Is there a class you could take that maybe would be a step in the right direction? Start to get dressed for where it is that you want God to take you. Maybe it's healing. Maybe you've been believing God for healing, but are you taking care of yourself and then listening to the voice of the Lord in how to prepare to walk out that wholeness? Maybe it's a ministry platform that you've wanted. Maybe it's your desire to preach and teach. But have you gotten the courage to share Jesus even with your coworker? Take a step. Get dressed for where you're headed. You have to set your mind and your affections and your actions as though you're already there. You need to relate to people and handle your relationships as if you're already in the future. Let go of what's not working anymore so that you can make room in your life for what God's going to do next. And as you prepare for the reality of the next season of your life, it might mean that you don't make sense in this current reality anymore. It might mean that there are people around you that look at you like you're a little bit odd. It might even be that the people around you don't want to see you grow and get past the stage that you're in now. They may enjoy having a coworker that they can get together and bash their husbands together. They may enjoy that your kids aren't flourishing because it makes them feel better about their own situation. But that's okay, because they may not be meant to make it into the next season of your life. There may be people that don't go with you into the next season of your life, and they may be eliminated even when you start to prepare and plan and get dressed for that new season. And finally, and this is probably the most important step, it's powerful, number three, be the midwife. That's what I said. Be the midwife. See, in a regular birthing process, there are three major players. I don't know if anybody's talking about childbirth in their house as much as we are. Maybe it's not. It's a normal, it's a normal talk around our house. Both of my daughters are pregnant, by the way, if you didn't know. So that's why it's normal talk around our house. Don't feel like you're missing out if, if it's not in your home. So it's a regular discussion of the process of childbirth. But a regular childbirth experience, there's three major players. There's the mom, the one who's giving birth. There's the baby. And then there's the midwife, or the doctor, but for the sake of this story, we'll use midwife. And each person in this situation has their own way of processing their reality in the situation. The mother is mostly focused on pain. At this point, there's, well, let me back up. There's a point in the process, and it's called the transition, and this is when the baby has left the womb but has not yet entered our world. And during this particular part of the process called transition, the mother is trying to manage the pain. She's 
you know, however, through breathing, whatever, that's the concern, just to get through this point and be done. And sometimes the mother wants to let you know how much pain she is in. Sometimes she wants to share in the pain with you. Uh, my husband likes to tell the story of when we were having our first child, Maddie, how I was in labor from in the middle of the night. So I started labor around midnight. She was born at 3.43 in the morning. So Eric was on the couch in the labor, labor room uh, trying to get some sleep. And so I am, this is the only childbirth experience I had with no drugs. And I, so whenever I was in pain, I would call him over, Eric, Eric, come here, come here. And he would get up, make it to the side of my bed. I'd make it through that moment. And then I'd go, okay, go, ugh, get away. And then a few minutes later, I'd call him back over, Eric, come here. I just wanted him to be there to go through the pain with me. And now if you hear him tell the story, it was just so hard on him that night. He had to get up and keep walking over to the bed every time I'd call his name, you know. He had it tough. But I wanted him to go through it with me. You know, and in that moment, you're not really thinking of all the things that, like kissing the baby's face or who are they going to look like. You just want the pain to be over. You want it to be done. Then there's the baby, and the baby at this point is very confused. The baby was at an all-inclusive resort. All the food, drink, taken care of, transportation, not a worry. But all of a sudden, he is launched into this position where it's not comfortable anymore. He can't possibly understand why he's being forced out of his comfortable surroundings and wants to know why the people who are supposed to love him are doing this to him. And the baby in this scenario can really easily latch onto a victim mentality. Why me? Why is this happening? Why don't you love me anymore? Where is God in this situation? It's very easy from the baby's perspective not to understand why on earth things are changing? Why would I leave the comfort of what I've known? But the worst thing that that baby can do at this point is go back. Try to go back to the comfort of where he came from. And then there's the midwife. The midwife is the only person in this scenario that is cool, calm, and collected. The midwife has been through this hundreds of times. She knows what's going on. She knows what this point of transition will, that it will be over, that everything will be okay. She's the leader in the group. She has a big picture mentality of how this is going to go. Like I said, she's been through it so many times before. And she's not, she can't necessarily get the other two players through the transition any faster, but what she can do is she can bring some encouragement, she can offer support, and she can give them some knowledge just to help them ease their mind through the transition. When it comes to navigating your way through transition, take it from the Israelites. They lived for over 400 years in captivity, but when they left on their way to freedom, they didn't even make it 40 years. Because the truth is the first generation that left Egypt didn't make it to the promised land. They died off in the wilderness 
They've died off in that in-between phase between where they left and where they were headed. So if, I could, if they could speak to you today, I know they would say this to you. Handle transition well. Be the midwife in the situation. Because church, the truth is, as people of God, if we can learn to be the midwife in our own transitional seasons, then we can help others that we come in contact with with their, when, they're, when they're the mom or they're the baby, we can be the midwife in their situation and help them walk through it and see the glory that's on the other side. Amen? So let me encourage you in that today. Meditate on the position of the midwife. Learn how to function through the transitional seasons of life. So again, let's recap. You're going to recognize if you're in a transitional place. If something's not feeling right, if there's a discomfort or a frustration about where you are in life, pray. Ask the Lord to reveal to you if there's a transition. Number two, dress for your future. Prepare as though you're already arrived at what God has for you. Start living that out even before it gets here. And then number three, Be the midwife. Learn to manage the periods between seasons, not only for yourself, but to help others who you come in contact with. Amen? Please stand and let's pray. Thank you. Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you for this word. I pray it would be a seed planted in the hearts and lives of your people, Father, that they would go out of here and it would help them. Help them manage their lives, Lord. And Father, I thank you for helping us through the transitions of our lives, Lord. That we would see the promise of God come to fruition in our life through our ability to let go of what we no longer have use of. And Lord, I pray that everybody here would be covered in your peace, Lord. That they would leave here in peace, they would return in peace. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.